Be kind. Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of Dope Nostalgia featuring country music. This is really exciting. A lot of people have been asking me, how come we haven't done so many genres yet? Well, this is time. It's time to get a country artist on the show. And who better than these amazing ladies here right out of Canada, Farmer's Daughter. This is going to be a two-parter episode because I got to speak to two out of the three ladies from that group. Um, Today's episode features Jake Lesky Willis. One of the beautiful singers from Farmer's Daughter, she told me so much about what she's up to now and the amazing things going on in her life. So we'll be sharing some Farmer's Daughter tracks with you and having an amazing time. In the meanwhile, before we get there, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on in Dope Nostalgia World. Hot off the presses, you gotta adjust those rabbit ears. You got that antenna pulled up? It's time for some dope nostalgia news. So last week I was telling you about this great brewing company called Printer's Ale out of Georgia, USA. They put together um, a huge order very recently, um, brewed so much more of their new beer that just came out. um, And it's a New England style double IPA called Donnie is the Talented Wahlberg. So they sent me a very nice care package um, featuring that beer. And I'm still got my friend James P. White coming on the show with me. And we're going to be drinking them up on our social media and sharing that with you. But it's kind of hard right now to get together because of COVID. So I'm hoping him and I can do some kind of a socially distanced drink-a-thon in in the yard (laughs) coming up very soon. But I want to tell you a little bit more about their brewery. Okay. So last week I shared with you some information about the beer itself. Now I want to tell you all about Printer's Ale. Printer's Ale Manufacturing Company is located in West Georgia, about 50 miles outside of Atlanta. They opened in April of 2017 when Georgia Law was tour system based, and they have seen much growth since the law change in late 2017. They currently only distribute in the state of Georgia and continue to find placement at bars, restaurants, and package stores throughout the state. We do not, they do not, sorry, and cannot ship beer, which is a common question among the Blockhead family, especially the Blockhead family. So... It's tough. They can't do it right now, guys, but they're trying to get that distribution out there for you, okay? So make sure you check out, especially if you're in the Georgia area, you know, even if you're in one of the surrounding states, you can go to Printer's Ale and pick yourself up some amazing beer. And I'm sure they have so many other different types of craft brews to check out as well. If you're a blockhead, also, you would have possibly been at our amazing first run ever party of NKOTB Block Action. We had a big, huge block party on Zoom on Saturday. And I want to thank everybody who showed up and everybody who participated in putting the event together. We had at our peak around 130 to 150 people come through. First one, fantastic turnout. And a lot of fun was had. So thank you to everybody who was involved. And we'll be having more of those coming up and telling you all about them in our social media. And now, let's get into the podcast. Wikipedia Moment. Farmer's Daughter was a Canadian country music group. Farmer's Daughter recorded three studio albums and charted 16 singles on the Canadian country music charts. Their highest charting single was the number one song, Cornfields or Cadillacs. In the spring of 1992, Saskatchewan's Jake Lesky talked Alberta's Shauna Ray Samagrad into forming a country music group. 
Jake and Shauna Ray toured together before with their family's gospel group when they were five and two years old. By the fall of that same year, they joined forces with Manitoba's Angela Kelman to form Farmer's Daughter. In 1993, the Vancouver-based group independently released their debut album, Girls Will Be Girls, on Stubble Jumper Music. They generated seven hits off that album, including Borderline Angel, Family Love, I Want to Hold You, and a cover of the Dusty Springfield hit, Son of a Preacher Man. This album, Girls Will Be Girls, was named Album of the Year by the British Columbia Country Music Association in 1994. They swept the 1996 BC CMAs, winning Entertainer of the Year, Group of the Year, as well as Song and Single of the Year awards for Borderline Angel. Then in 1996, Farmer's Daughter signed to Universal Music Canada and released their second album, Making Hay. In September, the album went gold in Canada and produced five more hit singles, which included Lonely Gypsy Wind, Now That I'm On My Own, You Said, and the top five, Cornfields or Cadillacs. They were then named Group of the Year by the Canadian Country Music Awards, in 1997, Best Country Group or Duo at the Juno Awards in 1998, and both Group and Entertainer of the Year by the BCCMA in 97 and 98. The third album, This Is The Life, was released in October 1998. They had a more hands-on approach for that one, producing the album with Mark Raymar. As well, the group released their greatest hits album, The Best of Farmer's Daughter, in 1999. They had two new songs on that album, with sing, uh, walking on walking in the sunshine and you and only you, they also won more awards with the BCCMAs that year, and the three original group members did their last tour in 2001. But all three women went on to work on solo projects and other personal goals. In June of 2008, Farmer's Daughter played an exclusive reunion show at the Winspear Center in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and in 2016, the group was inducted into the British Columbia. Country Music Hall of Fame. Please welcome Jake Lesky Willis to Dope Nostalgia. So once again, my name is Naomi and I want to welcome you to Dope Nostalgia. Um, it's a podcast where we talk about things that happened for great artists in the 90s that came out of that era and what they're also doing now. So we're going to touch on some of the stuff that happened in the Farmer's Daughter days and also promote your current projects. Well, thank you. That's great. Sounds so much fun. I love the name, Dope Nostalgia. That's <laughs> it's simple and, and cute. I like it. <laughs> now, in the beginning, how did the three of you ladies come together as Farmer's Daughter? Okay, so um, I was traveling with a gospel band at the time, which is where I met my now husband. And two of the girls from that gospel band were originally going to be a part of this. Ah. So um, it was Becky Aline Trueblood, Miss Idaho, and uh, Judy Lynn Knapp, two three three name girls yeah. <laughs> from the South, uh, and myself. Um, and for whatever reason, neither of those situated the girls had other things that they needed to go to, and um, it didn't work out with the mm. three of us. But I still love the concept of the trio. So uh, I called my cousin, Shauna Ray, our moms are sisters, and mm. um, you know, said, hey, look, we've been singing together since we've been kids. Would you be interested in something like this? And she just jumped on it. She was in Florida at the time uh, going to school. Um, and, uh, and then we, you know, it was one of those fabulous Baker Boys moments for the third 
you know, missing a uh, piece of the puzzle because Shaunari and I had that family harmony thing going. And of course we, you know, been, I've known her since she's a baby. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so to find that person, we literally went through the kinds of auditions and, and while like, I mean, one of the girls, beautiful girl, lovely singer, um, she joined, we did some recording. We thought this is it, this is gonna work. And, and then she said, yeah. And then I'll also, I'm gonna have to, every time we play uh, somewhere in town, I'm gonna have to find some time to do some work with my um, tracks. And uh, so basically she was a Jehovah's Witness and would need to be doing her witnessing all through the, through the tour. So it was like, you wow. know, totally respect she goes oh and i can't sing oh canada and i can't so i mean these are these are just a few of the little moments where we're like oh we thought we had that right fit but and totally respect her you know choices yeah. in life but it didn't work out so we went through about three or four girls and then came Ange, the little manitoba bombshell <laughs> <laughs> and you know it was one of those instantaneous things we met through a producer who i've been doing some writing with um michael rowe and he said yeah you got to meet this girl and i popped her her demo into uh, you know, the cassette player. <laughs> yes. And, and, um, and it was all kind of dance music. So we, we met and we had an amazing brunch. She said the moment that she knew things were gonna work from her side was that I, I laughed apparently out loud with my, with my mouth wide open full of food. And she said, okay, we can do business. <laughs> And when we sang together, that, of course, was that was the third part. It was just um, instant lock. You know, when you sing harmony with some people, it just mostly with family. There's just this thing where you just click. Yeah. Um, and that's how it felt with her. It was just it was instantaneous. And uh, you know, like, as they say, the rest is history. Um, and and then we were all prairie girls as well. That was the other thing I was going to say. We were we referred to ourselves as prairie chickens all the time. Nice. You know, it was just like there there is a certain there's a certain humor. I feel there's a certain I don't know what it is about you know prairie folks. Maybe it's the cold winters. Maybe I, I don't know. But I just there there's something that is very specific. And we, you know, we really felt that, um, with our bond for sure. And there's something cool about harmony. Um, when the tones, like you have to have that good tone that matches each other as well. Yes. Which is kind of like a, a magical thing when yeah, you have that, those not, sweet, those sweet notes. That's exactly right. And, and, um, I mean, you can have three incredibly great singers and have them sing together and have it just be like this you know, this, this battle, this fighting of tones. So you're absolutely right. And that was just something, you know, family, again, like I said, there is something about family harmony. Mm -hmm. um, but when Ange came along and Ange kind of has a bit of a rasp thing going on um, yeah. with her voice. And um, somehow that just fit right in the middle of Shauna Ray and I, and it just locked. So yeah, it was, it was, it was instantaneous. We just knew it was like, oh, you have to say yes, please. <laughs> I think that it really excites me talking to you today too and focusing on Farmer's Daughter is for this podcast we've been doing this show for a year now and you're oh. the very first country artist that oh. we're featuring so I'm so glad it's you guys because like what a wonderful way to start <laughs> wow yeah well, I am so honored thank you so much for finding me here in Atlanta Georgia <laughs> <laughs> 
And did you guys get com- compared to other acts at the time that were out there on the radio? And Oh, all the time. And really there at that point, there were only two of us. There was the Dixie Chicks and there was us. There and a lot of people um, made the comparison. Um, and, you know, I mean, it like we never actually met face to face, but we knew a lot of, you know, a lot of the same people. Um, we did a lot of writing with, uh, Marcus Humman. And then directly after that, they did a lot of writing with Marcus Humman. Um, you know, the girls were wow. from Texas. Farmer's daughter, you know, took off down in Asheville and there were, you know, several record companies that were looking at us at the time. And, you know, we barreled in there with our Canadian, you know, hair colors and fashion sense and a lot of, we, we had a sponsorship from Le Chateau at the time. So they just, they dressed us head to toe and, and like fabulous stuff that wasn't even necessarily um, on the racks at the time. So that's, I love, I love your fashion. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. A lot of leather, a lot of, uh, you know, like the metallic shiny leathers. And I had the, the red hair with the blonde in the front. And I think honestly, looking back now, we probably could have toned it down a little because at the end of the day, and it, listen, I have nothing but love for the Dixie Chicks. They are, they're fabulous. And they've, you know, incredible songs. We were very much the same, but here's the funny part. At that point in time in the country music industry, they literally said there's room for one female trio and these girls were you know they're from texas Mm. so they got the vote uh, clearly and also i I do think that our fashion i think i think the uh, a lot of the southern people were a little bit what do we do with these girls so they were really the only ones that that we were compared to Mm -hmm. and it would always come up in live interviews and and they would always set it up as so what do you think of the, or in an inter, er, introduction, it would be, and the Canadian Dixie Chicks. Uh. We're kind of like, so at the end, towards the end, it was just like, you know, we're so different. And the fact that in the industry at that point, people felt they had to choose, mm-hmm. you know, considering all the male bands, all the male duos at the time, it just, you know, but that was nothing new for, what we were, you know, what we went through as a female trio in that time. It feels like it's still specific to country music that things might be a little bit better in that regard when it comes to women, female exposure on country radio, but I feel like it's still an issue. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And matter of fact, um, when we first started playing the bars, um, I remember our manager, who's my father, um, when he tried to book us in bars, they, they said, no, you know, females can't handle a bar crowd. People don't like to drink to female music. And so we said, okay, fine. And if they're not drinking, they're not dancing. If they're not dancing, they're not drinking. So we went in there and we learned an entire male repertoire. We were Travis Tritt. We were, and we sang, I mean, every male artist that had enough, we, we sang Garth Brooks songs, we just filled our whole repertoire with male songs, male hits, and told our guitar player that he could, you know, use the distortion <laughs> as much as he wanted because 
you know, to the ears of the listeners and the bar owners that, that kind of, you know, gave us a little bit of chutzpah in there. And, uh, and before long, and, and, you know, we also, I'm going to admit, we introduced some drinking games. Now I know that now in today's climate, that would probably not be acceptable, but there was this one song where we said the, the, the name Willie about 20 times. And we said, okay, every time you hear the word Willie, um, everyone, you know, drink. <laughs> That's not- pretty normal though, if when you're playing the, uh, a bar establishment. Well, and you know what? Because they, they still want you to, they want you to help sell their alcohol too. Well, they really do. Um, now I think we could probably get in a, a, a lot of trouble for that, but we had to play mm-hmm. with our own rules and, you know, and, and that, and, and we became a really fun bar band. We even did a costume change on stage behind screens from Ikea, you know, to try. And, and so we, and we literally, you know, would strip mm-hmm. down and change clothes behind these screens until we hit the festival stages. And one of the tech guys came up and said, hey, you didn't do the costume change. And we're like, how'd you know about the costume change? He goes, everybody knows about the costume change because all the crew was behind the stage when we started not playing bars. So we had to rejig that a little bit. <laughs> Was it something that you guys were becoming known for after a while? It's like, this is the group that yeah, does that. That's, you're, you're totally right. There was one summer um, and it was, it was Dina Carter. It was Faith Hill. It was Billy Dean. It was, you know, that whole crew. Um, oh my gosh. We had a lot of fun out there. Festivals would be oh. the best. And it's a good way to, good way to get people together too. And you can do the networking and yeah. yeah. Festivals were amazing. Now, my favorite Farmer's Daughter song is Now That I'm On My Own. Those harmonies, ah, (laughs) those glorious harmonies and such a strong melody. 
um, especially on that chorus. What is your favorite okay. of the songs? And and go deep cuts. I love deep okay. cuts. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Oh, let me think. You know, I mean, you actually picked one that is one of my favorites. That was that song. I just have to say that every single night when we would get to that song, it didn't matter how shitty things were going. I mean, because let's face it, we were on the road three, 270 days of the year. Mm -hmm. Adults weren't meant to live in a bus together like that. So we had some rocky <laughs> times, I'm not gonna lie, but it honestly, it was like a drug that song. Like it, whenever we got to that song, whatever was going on, by the time we finished singing that song, it was resolved. You know, I mean, it's, wow. it was so powerful and I'm, I'm so glad you picked that one. Um, off the first record, there's a song called uh, Tenderness. I could use a little tenderness. Nobody heard that song, but I want you to go and listen to it. Really? It's really, I yeah. Will. It's really you should have been here tonight. All my friends were here Laughing and playing music And drinking imported beer I imagined out of all I was the one who missed you the most I sang out a song without your sweet harmony I proposed a toast Oh, I could use A little tenderness From you Few kind words A kiss or two another song called walking away for you that was from the making hay record um and it's all about people living their life on the road and and the people that they're in relationships with not being able to handle what that entails and so in this mm -hmm. song um it says you know think of me walking away for you um yeah. to save you what you're <laughs> what you're going to be signing up for marrying and hooking up with a musician who makes their living on the road. Um, there is also a whole series of songs that we did called the cocktail sessions. And it's, it's the only music of ours that's on Spotify. So, and, and what? these are all, we, we were asked to write a song for a movie that never got made, but it was right after the, um, uh, Austin Powers. So Liz Hurley was, well, you know, fabulous in those movies. And they were going to make a movie based on her where she starred as that character. And so we wrote a, a song called Spy Girl for that movie. Oh. And it, we had so much fun that we said, we're going to do, you know, like six sides um, of this kind of music. And it was such a blast. And that, that actually, those are up on iTunes, I think, too. It's so funny because when all of the, you know, all the social media stuff was coming about, and even, um, even YouTube, 
we, you know, there, it wasn't a tech savvy thing, you know, our, mm-hmm. our world, we were total, you know, road dogs, basically. Um, yeah. So I look back at, you know, my husband and I kind of have this, this, this thing, uh, because he'll look on, you know, his, one of his songs with David Guetta and it's like 200 million views. And I look at one of our, you know, like cornfields or Cadillacs or now that I'm on my own, it's like, I don't know what it is now, but it's like 1800. (laughs) So yeah, he always wins those games, but it's, you know, at one point we had a bunch of our stuff up and then it was one of our fans who put it up because we were out of the business before people started uploading and, and, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, Mm. It all got taken down because there were the the uh, the rights of the songs that didn't belong to him, and so it it all got removed. And then I think I think somebody put up a, another one this this last year. Um, anyway, doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, that was it's. Uh, let me let me think of some of the other. Uh, Wait for me was always one of my favorites. Uh, Family love, I, you know, family love was the first video we ever made. We filmed it in the last standing cornfield in Tabor, Alberta. Um, Tabor. Tabor. Corn. <laughs> Tabor corn. One of my best friends is from there. Oh, so no I hear way. a lot about Tabor. Nobody's from but Tabor. I haven't been, I haven't, been, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't been there myself yet. And I'm from Edmonton. That's where I'm right, right now. Yes. Yeah. So um, that one has, you know, that's the first song I ever wrote, like full beginning to end song and my niece and my nephew are in the video uh they're in several but um my nephew was not even one he's eating his first chocolate chip cookie and my niece is five and she's like running through the gates um she's in several of the shots and she ended up being my egg donor Really? yes so when i look at that video and i see this we tiny little five-year-old girl it's just it i am never not amazed by the whole process yeah so that one family love uh, on so many levels that was you know and and it's interesting too tony pantages directed that and he this man is an artist artist you know and so from the standpoint of first videos everyone's always like oh the first video wish i could file that away this video is one of our most beautifully filmed videos. And so it really set the bar, you know. Making my way through the pouring rain Through a sea of empty eyes again At the end of the hall Seventeenth floor, I close and lock the door. Share my blues with a six o'clock news, and I've got no place to go. I'm missing the warmth of family love, it's my shelter from the cold. Family love never leaves when the whole Family love always 
That's exciting. I hope that we could still find that on oh, YouTube you can. because that I, you can. Yeah. Good, good. I think all of the good. videos are up actually. Oh, in clemency. That was another one yeah. that, um, you know, it just, it's written about Vancouver and the rain and that feeling you get. And when we filmed the video, it was supposed to be on the top of a roof and all of the gear was like swept away. So we had to, we had to rejig that one. But yeah, I mean, I, favorites. Oh man. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that's, it's funny. It's like when someone says, Hey, you know, sing a song and you think to yourself, Oh, do I know one? It like my mind is blanking because honestly, every song that we chose has a, a separate place in my heart for sure. It's nice to have a catalog that you can say that about, but also like just the fact that sometimes when we're on a record contract, you don't always get a chance to choose the songs that you want to have as singles. And in those cases, that's why I like to ask that question. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Naomi, um, no one would sign us initially. So we created our own label, Stubble Jumper Music. And of course, Stubble Jumper is another word for prairie person. So we started our own. And by the time we came back round to the record labels, um, what they could offer us at that time was, a, you know, basically promotional stuff. And, and we kept a lot of our own decision making. So um, it, it, they didn't have that kind of control over our material because... That's no, and the, the first time we met with one of the heads of one of the record labels, he said, yeah, you know what? Your kind gets pregnant. <gasps> so we said, okay, all right. And had to figure out different ways to get things done. So, you know, we didn't have big tour money behind us. So we went into, we had to maverick our way. We went into small towns and said, okay, where's your 4-H club? We want to partner with you. Who's your, you know, who is your young budding artist? We'll let them open for us. And the next thing you know, the whole town was out. You know, we'll throw two bucks of ticket sales to your 4-H club, you know, or your hockey club or whatever. So, yeah, and you know what? We, we were able to get out of the bar scene and get into the local theater slash legion, <laughs> but it was all ours, the door, the merch, the everything. And so, you know, that's how we got ourselves in a position. Um, and at that same time, I have to say, and this was such an honor, we were winning awards, which was typically reserved yeah. for, you know, label artists. So by the time we were recorded by some of these labels, it was just like, what you got? Because right now we're booked and we're taking, and we're taking everything home with us. So, so they, you know, mm. they, we met some wonderful people at Universal and had a really great experience with them. So. That leads into my next question, too, about the awards that you won in 97 and 98. You won Best Country Group at the Junos, Best Group of the Year at the CCMAs. Now, what an accomplishment that must have felt like for you. And what kind of memorabilia from those dates have you kept that's special to you? You know, thank goodness my mother kept three of everything. 
because <laughs> at that time it was just like, you don't think you're just doing right. And it was exciting. Yeah. It was amazing. But I have to just back up a wee bit because before we started winning those kinds of awards, there was what, and, and this experience um, actually got me um, Googling today <laughs> to find out the, the details of it because the first, um, the, the first award that we were ever nominated for was a Juno in 95. And it was in a category, get this, it was in a category with Big Sugar, Moist, The Gand Harvest, and Wild Strawberries, and Farmer's Daughter. And I don't know, I mean, I, I, when I was looking back at some of these, the categories, it's just like, when I remember going to, it was in Toronto, and it was on our first record. So we were just like, you know, our eyes were wide and we could, and, and big sugar, moist. I mean, come on. I mean, I was just like, what are we doing here? And we went into the, the <laughs> viewing room where they had this, you know, the huge screen and they would play clips of the nominee the nominees. And when our, it was family love came up on the screen, it was just like, uh, honestly, I don't know if, I mean, there's, there's gratitude and there is excitement, but that moment in 95 with the first record and that group of people, when country was still kind of going, eh, you know, prove yourself. Like every time we went into that bar room, it wasn't just, are they gonna like our music? It's like, prove yourself as a female and then we'll decide if we like your music. And so this was a nod not from the Country Music Association, who ended up coming around and supporting us like none other, but from the Junos first, which, I mean, just, mm. it goes right along with our basic, basically our whole story, because that's, that's how everything happened for us, completely ass backwards. <laughs> and, and, and in, you know, I mean, in strange ways, yeah. And they just add in those X, that extra hurdle to jump. Right. Like that. Yeah. 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 But I mean, we, I felt like we were in unbelievable company. I mean, Big Sugar is still yeah. one of my favorite bands and yeah, it, you know, I mean, that was, that was an incredible, incredible experience. And then the BCCMA awarded that album, the Girls Will Be Girls album. It, it just, it blew our minds. But I want to say that we were never, there was never a moment where, it wasn't where we weren't so grateful right until we disbanded. It was like every nod, every award. It was always just thank you. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for, you know, for standing behind a female country trio when people just weren't doing that. Mm -hmm. Did CMT embrace you as well? <laughs> Yeah, it took it might have taken a little bit of time. Well, to they get that banned our second actually. video. Really? Yeah, which made people want to see it anymore. So uh, even like all the more. Wow, um, it was called Borderline Angel, and it was about a mother who um, who supported her young daughter by being a woman of the streets. Because well, you'd have to you know go watch wow. the video. <laughs> 
very oh, subtle and it was very heartfelt. And in the end, she, you know, she, she leaves it all behind and takes care of her daughter. But I remember getting that call. Jerry's like, well, now we've done it. We're banned from CMT within this second video. Um, but it did, it did make people really want to see it though. So it didn't do us any harm. <laughs> There is that added bonus. Yes. And you know, CMT, what you but people can't have, they want even more. Yeah, right. CMT, <laughs> um, uh, they had directors that they really wanted uh, to be used. And we had the directors that we loved from that weren't necessarily from the country scene. And so, um, you know, but we were paying for our videos. So it, it was kind of like, nope, we're using dude over here. Um, I will say that they uh, graciously made a, um, a Christmas special with us. Um, that was really insane and really fun. And we look back at it now and still it's good Christmas laugh. I mean, it was, there was, it was, we, yeah. we, there was a lot of like little acting bits in it and stuff, which none of us are really actors. <laughs> But it was really fun. Um, we filmed it in Kananaskis and we did all the singing live. That was one thing that CMT was like, we want all the singing live. So here we were in Kananaskis in December um, and we were, one of the songs, Oh Holy Night, we were recording at like two o'clock in the morning in sleet and thinking whose idea was it to sing this whole, I mean, I, there, there is a time for you know just singing over you <laughs> but we did everything live so and and yeah. we actually you know looking back at it now i don't think we would have opted to do it any other way because we did everything live Podcasting is so much fun, but it's kind of expensive too. We got to pay for stuff like licensing fees, hosting fees, long distance phone calls, etc., etc. You get the drill? Okay. Well, we have a new thing called Patreon. Now, don't nostalgia. 
has a Patreon account where you can subscribe to premium content. And what that means for you is for the very low starting price of $1 a month, you'll be able to get the podcast two days in advance of the regular release. Not only that, $3 a month, you get exclusive video content just for you guys to check out bonus stuff all the time that you don't get with the regular show. So check it out, patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. Become a subscriber today and get all the good perks. What's up? It's DJ AK, the Amanda Knight from No More Games Radio. Check us out at nomoregamesradio.com and keep listening to my favorite girl, Naomi, on the most excellent 90s podcast, Dope Nostalgia. Hollywood hair, Hollywood hair, a shimmery look that Barbie wears, only Hollywood hair. Barbie doll has a special clear spray that makes her hair turn pink. It turns blonde again when it dries. What was one of your most memorable performances that you had? Hmm. One of my personal favorites, we sang on a barge in the Allura Gorge where they had to take us out to, um, they had to take us out to uh, our stage on a little boat. And oh, it wow. was one of the most beautiful scenic, um, you know, situations. Another one was we sang the national anthem for the WWF grudge match, the heart grub- grudge match. <laughs> the undertaker was coming onto the stage as we were leaving. And, and they literally told us like, okay, so these guys are very serious about their characters. So when you're done, we need you to hustle it like out and off. And um, we were just walking down the ramp and this, the undertaker came down and just about swept all three of us, you know, in one fell swoop, (laughs) but that was memorable. Uh, We also did shows, um, military shows in uh, Eritrea in Mm. Israel and Egypt, Bosnia, um, and um, what's the the northernmost point? Alert, alert. Yeah, so if you were to go out and get groceries, it would be Russia, but they put us up there in Herks. And I have to say that there's just, you know, especially in Bosnia, there were, and, and our Eritrean trip, um, those, those trips are very meaningful to the people who are on the base. And, you know, the Canadians are peacekeeping troops, but they were there for almost six months. And at the end of that six months, they, you know, the most important thing, yeah, the shows were appreciated, but we really literally sat around and talked to them and just, you know, visited with them and, you know, <laughs> gave them some different faces to yeah. see, you know. And you get to learn so much from them oh, too. Oh my God. What their experiences are like. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, th- those are some of the moments that really made a mark 
on my life. Like when, when I came back from that tour, uh, there, my list of priorities had changed. You know, it was one of those, it was one of those trips where it's just like, okay, we need to think through what, you know, what we consider issues. Um, Mm -hmm. and we, uh, we decided also one year, this, this is a very memorable one, uh, to play Christmas day in Wendover, Nevada at a casino. So we were in between sets, we were running home and basing the turkey in the band house, which was not a cute band house. I mean, there was nothing sexy about that band house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that, I mean, that was the, I I feel like that was, that kind of sums us up. Like we were so focused and so driven and we often were referred to as the hardest working band in Canada because we would take gigs like that and say, okay, you know, yes, we want to keep our band. We had our band on retainer, which again, you know, back in the day that wasn't necessarily done, but we loved them and we wanted, we wanted to make sure that we kept them. And so as a female touring artist, we had to, you know, we had to be extra. Smart. Yeah. Now tell me about the reunion you had at the Winspear Center here in Edmonton. (gasps) Oh, yes. That should have been on my list. That was amazing. Um, first of all, and what year? What the year venue. Was that? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> I can always look that up on Wikipedia. It's yes, <laughs> you're going to have to do that because I I know I was living in Stratford, Ontario at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not sure, but the first of all, the venue itself is just like one of my favorite places to play. It's just beautiful. Um, and then, you know, we hadn't sung together for literally years. So it was really emotional. It was one of those emotional things where we were thinking to ourselves, why, why did we ever stop this? And then, you know, I mean, life goes on. (laughs) Exactly. But it's good that you had that opportunity to be with them together. And- yes, amazing. I also want to, I want to mention one more um, event that is one of my favorites. So in the beginning, before we were making money with Farmer's Daughter, we had an alter ego band called Sisters from Another Mother. And we did all Motown stuff, which not all Motown, but like the beehives and a lot of Motown. Ange was doing that in a lounge gig at the time, but we, we made an act. So the Walk for AIDS hired them and we're like you guys we have a song out on country radio right now like we can't go and play as someone else at this point and they're like well what if we hire you to open for you so we came out and did our whole Motown repertoire and then we ran I was in the west end of Vancouver after the march and we ran to a friend's house and we tore the beehives out and we read it and we came back and we headlined as farmer's daughter with the hit that we had on the radio at the time that's fantastic (laughs) (laughs) yeah um now as the years went on eventually you're you're living in the U.S. now which city are you in Atlanta Atlanta. Awesome. And yeah, for a time you had a group, um, a country group together in Nashville called Samson and Delilah. Is that correct? Okay. That group was not in Nashville. When I was in Nashville, I was working for a record company on the other side of things, uh, as far as, okay. uh, you know, uh, being a creative director. So worked with a lot of the, the branding, a lot of the video and, and 
photo shoots and that kind of thing. Uh, Samson and Delilah is a band. How do you know about Samson and Delilah? I've been doing research. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's why I had to say, is that correct? Because what if the research was wrong? So, so that band is, was one of my favorite vocal experiences outside of Farmer's Daughter. Farmer's Daughter will always be my, my love, my heart. Um, but Samson and Delilah, it, you know, for me, obviously you see a theme, it's three-part harmony. I just, it is everything. And I've never, it's so funny because I've never wanted to be like the lead lead. I, even to this day, like we'll be listening to something in the car and I just, I wait and I come in on the chorus with the harmony. It's just what my body and my brain does. I love it. I love the yes. challenge of where those notes go. And now my three or well, almost four-year-old daughter is like, mom, I want to sing the harmony. And she's just going for it like I can't I, her ear is unbelievable Samson and Delilah Samson is my ex-husband mm-hmm. and uh the other girl in the band uh Laura Rose is just one of the most phenomenal singers and one of the most incredible intuitive like there were songs that we had never sung together when we just even just started rehearsing them we would just go to the same places at the same time it was just it was the one of the easiest things I've ever done. And it's funny because we created the band after my husband and I split up. Hmm. So <laughs> that's weird. Was it awkward? No, no, no. I mean, I, my, I, you know, when I hear people talking about their exes with disdain, <laughs> I think, well, I'm glad that's not my, situation i love him i you know he's he is a great human and i was together with him for 13 years and he he is some of my favorite memories and drummed in our band free in farmer's daughter for years we put a lot of time in together and i'd be a nut bar now to say anything but thank you for all the fun times you know he's a good guy incredible musician Um, but you know, we just didn't, we didn't live well together. Uh, you know, it, it, towards the end, it was more about what we wanted long-term. And I think as you grow and start adulting, which a lot of times is no fun at all is when you start figuring out, well, that worked for us when we were on the road, 270 days of the year, but now we're really finding out, you know, on the day to day, what works for us. And so we split. And we, we kind of, we went through a legal separation. We kind of forgot to get divorced until many years later, we, we said over a beer, are we actually divorced? And I had to go look it up and we weren't. So we got divorced, <laughs> but like years later, um, yeah, we remained friends. Uh, yeah. Took a holiday together, started a band. Yeah, My we were good. And now that you're in Atlanta, um, do you ever come back to Canada to visit? Uh, yes. <laughs> Before the madness of, uh, of oh, right. COVID. Um, yes. Uh, my parents are in Red Deer. Now, they oh, were cool. in Nashville for years. And just over the last two years, they, they moved back to Calgary. And then they ended up um, uh, moving out to Red Deer. We've got a lot of family out there. Uh, so I made a point of, um, you know, I don't ever want to leave it more than three months between, you know, Mm -hmm. 
seeing my parents and, and especially with Avalon, like my mom is going nuts right now. Thank goodness for a video chat, you know, or, or they're being, mm. or she'd be sneaking across the border. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, and Stratford, Ontario is probably, I, I lived there for almost 13 years and I have, you know, family there, not blood you know, friends, the family you choose. <laughs> um, yes. I, there, I fell in love with the city. I fell in love with the lifestyle. I fell in love with so many of the people there. That's actually where my first husband is from. I'd never really known anything about Stratford and that's where he hails from. So um, yeah, I, that town and the people in it are, it's, that's like home to me even now, yeah. Now, one of the most exciting things that's going on right now um, at, is, the, well, how I found you on your website <laughs> and what um, your focus is, is uh, telling the world your story right now. And that's what I really want to get into. Um, tell me all about becoming a mother in your early 50s. This is very inspirational to me as I am, a, I'm 42 and, you know, time seems to be ticking a bit and I don't have children yeah. yet. So I want to hear more about your story. Okay. Well, I just, you know, I go back to that time where the, you know, the, the label person said your kind gets pregnant and my dad, our manager was just like, Sarah in the Bible was 88. You all have lots of time. And that was funny when we were all in our early thirties. <laughs> it's like, you know, it wasn't so funny. I'm like, it's that, that was a funny joke back then. Wasn't it dad? <laughs> Um, I completely derailed myself. What did you just ask me? Well, basically what I want to know about your story about becoming a mother at 51, yeah. because this is something that you have your website promoting right now and it's out there and to inspire and help other women. So tell me about your story when you became right. a mother at that. Okay. Age. So I, you know, I mean, honestly, um, I did not see this coming. I, I've never been, you know, like Angela in our band, she was one of those women who said right from the very beginning, I was made to be a mother. I will be a mother in this life. I focused on my career and never really pictured myself not being a mother, but I couldn't picture myself with a family either. So I just kind of was hanging out in the land of let's just take one day at a time as it comes. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, I was a certain age. And then I think at that point, I just accepted the fact that there is more than one right way to get through life. And we don't have to have a baby just because we can. And maybe this is just my path. I, I dedicated my life to my career. And so I, you know, I said, I'm going to be a fabulous aunt with my martini glass and my three pound Yorkie living on the 36th floor of a, you know, of a, of a, a high rise in Toronto. And yeah. That's going to be my life. And I'm okay with that. So there were moments leading up to that where I did the, you know, I played the should game and it's like, Ugh, and then I, and then I let it go and was really living my life to the fullest um, with that knowledge and that acceptance of, you know, what my life was going to look like. Um, and then, you know, and then this person, this blast from my past, this, you know, this, this Christopher Kevin Willis. Um, uh, so we spoke about him 
in in the beginning when we first started talking about the the gospel band. So I met him 33 years ago, 34 years ago, something like that. Met and fell in love in the gospel band, pre-Farmer's Daughter, and we both went our separate ways. And um, I, we never fell out of touch. He was, he's always been my person. He's, he's the guy that I would call with the good news and the bad news and the complaints and the celebrations and vice versa. And I would go on trips with him overseas when he, you know, he had incredible fame um, has incredible fame with, uh, you know, with his singing career, did a lot of stuff with David Guetta and in the early days. And so a lot of fabulous traveling. And, um, uh, so we have always remained, this is Avalon. (laughs) Avalon, it's so nice to meet you. Hi. Uh, Thanks for coming to say hi, Avalon. (laughs) So, um, staying so connected and having this relationship with this human. Um, You know, at (laughs) one point on one of our last visits, we were saying goodbye at the airport and it was just, you know, it was an award-winning goodbye. It was just like, and ask yourselves, why are we doing this? You know, why do we love to be together and hate to be apart? What are we doing? Um, so we had this conversation about how we saw our, you know, our, our future going and, and, um, and then I took a trip with him to a wedding in Spain and he said to me, he said, I really, I want a family of my own. You know, I am, I'm tired of being, you know, the, the uncle at the kid's table. Well, I'm sure he was never put at the kid's table, but you, you get the idea. I, I'm, I see my life going in a certain direction. I have a legacy. I have things I want to pass down. I am, you know, I, I want someone to pass it down to. I want to experience being a father and I don't want to do it without you. And at that point I had just been offered a job in Toronto and I had concerns about the two of us being together uh, at that point. So I took the job. And one year later, we had a phone call and he said, look, what do you want? I'll tell you what I want. I want you to come to Atlanta. I want us to be a family. I want us to have a baby. And at that point too, I was just thinking, okay, that ship has definitely passed. So I knew nothing. I wasn't researching any of this stuff. So in my mind, that that day has come and gone for me. Like, And so he started presenting me with, you know, different medical, you know, possibilities. And so, um, he said, what do you want? Mm -hmm. And I, I gave it some thought and I said, you know what? I want nothing more than to be a family with you. And literally within a month, I sold everything in Toronto. I, um, left my job. I moved down to Atlanta. We worked on immigration and all that stuff after the fact, after I got here. So we didn't worry about the how at all. We concentrated on what and why and what we wanted. And at this point in our lives that we just said, we're just going to go for it. So um, I moved down and uh, we started that we got married and we started uh, the fertility journey directly after that. Um, had no idea what was possible. Yeah. You know, had no idea 
um, that I could carry a baby at that point. And so we had to make a lot of decisions at that, you know, at that point um, about what we wanted to do as far as, you know, egg donation, IVF. And we knew that we didn't have a lot of time to experiment. Because a lot of people are like, well, let's find out if you have any eggs and let's go that direction first. Um, mm. And we, we opted not even to go down that road. <laughs> She's so sweet. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> um, and we thought to ourselves, you know, I mean, if there, if there were any rogue eggs <laughs> floating around in there, um, they, they may cause problems, you know, we, it, and, and really? also um, the time factor, you know, we knew, we understood mm -hmm. what we were up against and we wanted the best possible outcome. So initially we started looking at egg donors that were within the, the, um, uh, in the, the fertility uh, center. And it, you, it's like a catalog. I mean, you can put in, you know, five foot eight, a Germanic you know, descent, uh, want them to have a musical background, blah, 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 blah. And the videos pop up. Here's, you know, wow. Svetlana. And, <laughs> you know, it was crazy, but something inside me was just like, Nope, nope, definitely not. Hell no. It's mm -mm. like you get, you need to loosen the grip a little bit, honey, because you know. And I kept coming back to my niece, Savannah, who I was very, very, very close with. Um, and Chris had reservations because he just he wondered, like, is this gonna be weird? Is this gonna be weird at Christmas? Is this going to change the dynamic with your family? Is Savannah going to decide one day that, you know, she, whatever happens when things go sideways, right? Right. So um, finally, he, he came around to saying, okay, let's have this conversation. We called my brother and sister-in-law first before I even contacted Savannah because my brother and I are very close and also my sister-in-law who I've known since we were kids. So we called them first and said, look, this is what we're thinking. Are you okay with that? And they were overjoyed. And that's when we reached out to my niece. And before I even finished my sentence, she said, absolutely, whatever you want, Auntie, I would do anything for you. And that started our fertility uh, journey where she came down to Nash or to um, Atlanta. Savannah came down to Atlanta and lived with us for about three months leading up to the egg retrieval um, and uh and the ivf process which you know i mean chris and i are both very a-type personalities it's like we're gonna go we've found the number one you know the the guy who is heading up the egg the the uh, egg donation part of the you know it was in new york city the langone center for fertility um dr lachardi who is just a genius um, we, you know, we thought to ourselves, we are going to walk in there. We're going to pay our money. I'm going to take my shots and bingo, bango baby. And so four years later, and um, you know, we had, had six transfers, um, a miscarriage, you know, the rest were failed transfers. And then this one. <laughs> oh. So it, so that's why I think my dedication to what I'm starting up now, um, I feel so passionate about is because I think if it happened on the first try, this wouldn't, this part of the conversation wouldn't exist. Um, there's so much 
there's so many layers to that experience. So many layers based mm -hmm. around shame, around worthiness, around persistence. So much of the success of this, I believe, for me in my situation was mindset. Um, and then, you know, the absolute best medical and integrative doctors as well. But what I, what I found after we had Avalon where women were coming up to me and, and, and asking in very hushed tones, like, so what did you do? The women who were asking me questions were asking me questions like, you know, and, and it was always in the same way. It was like, you know, what, because what, they almost... Did they almost feel embarrassed? Yes, the there's this, this subject of infertility, especially with women is shrouded in shame. There mm. is this feeling like there's something wrong with me because I can't do the most basic thing in the world and that's have a baby. I mean, this, this is the most basic thing, right? Well, and, and, the, and young or older, I mean, obviously it doesn't get easier when you get older, but it is, it is a very interesting subject. And so that was what kind of made me start thinking. Like I was, I found that I was so exhilarated and excited to share with them all the possibilities. It's like, sometimes I, I wonder if they, if they thought, well, I just asked one question lady, <laughs> because it just comes tumbling out. It's like, try this, do this, see this, experience this, maybe open up to this kind of treatment. I mean, I just, I want to share what we did because there was so, so much emotion, there's so much pain, there's so much excitement, there's so much, there's just so much. So when the questions started coming to me, they, they, when I was answering them, I found that I was just, it, it became a passion. And so this is, you know, this is, this is what this whole thing is about with the Jake Take. And I now have a, a private uh, Facebook group for people who are, you know, who are going down this path. And I've called it the Jake Take Sisterhood because I've invited people who have done the thing and, and had the babies to show up for these women. And, you know, there, there is a myth about, you know, women showing up for women that, um, yeah. you know, that I am hoping to completely dispel, even if it's just in my <laughs> corner of the world. Although I, I find that it's becoming stronger. Um, yeah. But just that, you know, that I got you, I, I'm here for you. I support you. I, you know, the, the, I want to share everything that worked for me because yeah. we, you know, when something didn't work, we would turn around and say, okay, let's, let's, here we go again. Let's do all of this and then add this to the protocol. Like whether it was a, an energy worker, a, you know, healer, a, you know, what, whatever people suggested we do, we did, we took very seriously. And, and then the mindset, you know, part of it came in. And I believe that all together is what was, you know, brought success for us. So yeah, that's, that is my, you know, it's a passion of mine and I, I love our story and I want people to know that if I did it, you know, I, so can someone else. I was 51. It's an incredible journey. And I am so overjoyed that you're doing something to not only help lift up women and inspire them, but take that shame feeling away about how they feel about the situation and, and the encouragement you're giving them. I think it's fantastic. So I'm definitely going to make sure that everybody out there knows about the Jake tape. <laughs> 
um, we'll put the, we're going to put those links up on our social yeah, media. Yeah. And you know, I'm finding that initially it's the, the, my website was where I, you know, where I lived and I, but then I, you know, over on Instagram and the, the private page, I'm actually going live, um, with my niece on Monday. I think, I think we're, I think we're doing it on Monday anyway. Yeah. It's, um, just letting people know that I've been where you are. I've, you know, I, I feel, I, I feel the pain, but the, the, the one thing that you can't do is give up if this is something. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. This, let's see your costume. This is Violet from The Incredibles. That's so cool. Oh, look at you. <laughs> You're such a superhero. <laughs> oh, listen. Yeah, that was looks good <laughs> um yeah and you know it's worth it she is uh she is my heart for sure yeah oh she's so charismatic yeah. <laughs> she, what yeah, a doll. she is <laughs> she's got to go fight yeah, crime oh, okay. trust and believe <laughs> uh, yeah but- yeah, I'm, I'm so inspired by this story and I'm really happy that you're sharing it on our show today. I do just have a couple yeah, more questions sure. to ask you before we end our time together. So I want, I'm um, need you just to be quiet for a little bit longer, okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll be sure we'll wrap it up pretty quick for you. <laughs> Are you still in touch with Angela and Shauna oh. Ray? Angela's going to be talking to me on Monday. What's that? Angela's talking to me oh, on Monday. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I'm there. Those girls are still my lifeline. I, you know, I mean, I just had a, a you know, a super long uh, one. And again, thank goodness for video chat. Ange is, she, she knows more about my family history sometimes. And I, I will call her and say, remember my so-and-so and so-and-so, who was the husband of, and she's like, bah, bah, bah. we called her Trivia Tracy too. Yeah, those <laughs> girls are a part of me. We, we will always be family, like forever. Yeah. Yeah, I miss them. I That's miss cool. being in the same, you know, we used to finish each, each other's sentences, like really. And we fought like sisters too. You know, I mean, it, it, it certainly wasn't all, uh, roses and butterflies. That's for sure. But especially when you have to share yeah, a bus. That, and the first year of our touring, <laughs> we shared a hotel room, the three of us. Wow. Yeah. One bath. Yeah. That'll, so, that can be yeah, it, that, it, it bonded us for sure. Yeah. Do you think there's a ch- uh, possibility in the future that you will perform together again? Loaded question. Loaded question. <laughs> I, I would love nothing more. I, I really, Perfect. it is, um, it's a feeling that I can't explain. It's a part of my life that um, holds probably, you know, at least 50 to 60% of my most amazing memories. And, you know, there's just, there is something about experiencing that kind of win with other people, you know, I mean, we, it was our creation, it was our focus, it was something that we literally um, brought into existence, and we're able to experience 
together. You know, when when the, when they announce your name after the nominees, you know, and the winner is, and it's actually you. It's just there is a euphoria, and to share that with these other people, you don't. It it binds you together in a very special way, for sure. I miss them I now. Now you. I was going to say, I'm so nostalgic now, but duh. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm here for. Tie that in. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to have to hang up and call them both in <laughs> on a, on a oh. conference call. <laughs> what goals lie ahead for you? Um, oh, one of my hugest goals is to... Uh, stay healthy and active. I just started a, a workout at an infrared sauna. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's called Hot Works, and it's no. like they're they're little private seven by seven infrared saunas that have virtual uh, like yoga and Pilates, and you know, and they have cycling classes. So you're getting the benefit of the infrared sauna and also the workout. So um, staying healthy so that I can be around to be here for this little girl and um, show her the world, you know? Um, yeah, yeah I, I am excited about, there's, there, there's, there are a couple things in the works right now. Um, I am talking to a, a company about creating um, a line of kids hair products for curly hair. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I, my goals have always been to uh, dream about doing things that seem kind of impossible right now. That's just about everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, but staying healthy and, um, and, you know, it's really interesting when you have a little following you around, watching what you do and say, it makes, it, it, it really makes you stop and think. And so uh, it's funny that you should, uh, that you should ask about goals today. I've, I'm a part of a group uh, called the U, U Squared. It's a, it's a book called by Price Pritchard um, about quantum leaps and, and um, incorporating mindset and strategy. Um, so today they, that was one of the questions. It's like, what, what would you do if you couldn't fail? So I, that that's top of mind right now. Um, what a great wording of that question. Yeah. What, what if you would you do fail? if you couldn't fail? And I love the, I keep coming back to the idea of, I love working with women. So I think what I'm doing in the coaching field is really up my alley, but I see, I see retreats. I see, you know, I, I love opulence. I love, um, you know, I love getaways. I would love to see a group of women who are on this journey and who are tired and who feel like they've tried everything. I'd like to whisk them away to Belize or, you know, somewhere exotic and beautiful and introduce them to, you know, uh, maybe some types of yoga or acupuncture or mindset or crystals or beauty and, and help this experience to be uh, one of beauty and love when quite oftentimes just by the very nature of it, it's one of pressure and one of anxiety and one of disappointment and one of pain. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's my big dream right there. <laughs> 
Well, what's, what you're doing is very important. And I'm really grateful for you. I'm really grateful for what you're doing and your message that you're helping women with. And it's been extremely inspiring to get to know you today. Thank you so much for spending that time Naomi, with me. I, it was such an honor uh, to be asked. Thank you. You're such a lovely person and a beautiful soul. You can check out her website and see what she's up to at www.thejaketake.com. And like I said earlier, this will be a two-part Farmer's Daughter series. Next week, my guest will be Angela Kelman. And the great thing that I learned from Angela was so much about singing. She taught me so much about proper technique and such. For all you vocalists out there, you're going to want to check this episode out. We will see you again next week, guys. Take care. Bye. Hey, kids, put down that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at NostalgiaDope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.